This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. This is the place I learned how to drive, learned that humans cannot fly. This is the place I was raised, outside of the world. Time is not a lie, I feel it. Flying by Time's not a lie I feel it I never cared as much as you For art or permanence or truth Now that you're gone I'm guessing you knew That I would be here And this day would come too soon Time is not a lie I feel it Flying by Time is not a lie I feel If I could paint I would paint skies The kind you see around Summertime Deep blues and greens I had the time I paint skies This is the place I learned about heaven Learned how to get back home This is the place I got the hell out of Time's not a lie, I feel it flying That was our very own Mr. Logan Heftel with his brand new song, Paint Skies. Is that the? Yeah, uh, so gorgeous. I listened to it today. It was like, A, it completely fit my mood. And B, I'm like, cool, we've got an opening song. <laughs> so um, I'm sure Logan's working on a new CD. Uh-huh. Yes, he's nodding. Yes, definitely. Welcome, everyone. It is uh, June. June, June, June. Yes, we weren't here last week and we will not be here in the next few weeks. 
I'm starting my summer vacation. I'm pretending I'm 17 again because fuck it. You know, when you're about to turn 50, you got to do something. Uh, by the way, it's T minus nine days till I'm 50, just so everyone knows out there. Uh, it's so weird. I've never, ever, ever given a shit at all about my age. And this one, I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's because my mom's not here or what's going on or I don't know what's going on. I, I guess, well, you know what it is? It's because I got my membership card for the AARP today in the mail. <laughs> it's such a fucking nightmare. But I'm thinking, well, maybe there's some discounts or something, you know, I could always do the sizzler senior meal at the early in the evening or something. I don't know. But my husband, when he turned 50, he got one of those too. And I think he signed up for a few months. He's like, fuck it, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, I don't know, I might. But I actually got a little card came in the mail and everything They're, You know, they're very excited. But I don't understand why I'm a a member of some association of retired people. I I feel like I'm just barely getting started. And if they saw my retirement account, they'd probably disqualify me because it's pretty sad at this point. I'll be eating dog food on the corner. Pretty sure about that. Uh, so yes, it's June. And here in Los Angeles, uh, we are experiencing, at least those on the coast, uh, something called June gloom. It started a few days ago. It normally starts in... <laughs> April, actually. Uh, but it hasn't been that, that bad this year. And uh, so if you go to my house right now, by the way, we're not at my house this week, we're, we're in WeHo at the hut. Uh, but if we were at my house, it would be very dark and gray and cold, and probably 25 degrees colder than it is here in WeHo. Uh, so it was kind of nice to come out of my neighborhood and see some blue sky to the east. I was like, Oh, look, there's blue sky. I think I saw blue sky yesterday for about 20 minutes. So uh, that helped my mood a little bit because uh, <sighs> you guys all know Ned. Of course, you know Ned. He's the one who barks in the background sometimes, some shows. And uh, well, Neddy is, uh, he's still here, but he's not here for much longer. Uh, I had the uh, great pleasure of being a conscious human being while I called the vet today to put a hit out on my dog. Um, trying to do this consciously. I'm doing it at least with chocolate. I am getting through the week with chocolate. My Weight Watchers points thing. Fuck it. I said on Sunday, I'm like, fuck it. I'm not doing my fucking points this week. Even if I gain a pound or two back, fuck it. I don't care. I need heroin, but I'm eating chocolate instead. So although heroin might be slimming, maybe I should, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yes, I am uh, not doing well with that. But here's how it goes. So on Sunday, I was meditating. And it was a really powerful meditation. Every once in a while, I have a really powerful meditation. And Ned was in the studio with me. Um, and after the meditation, I kind of opened my eyes and things were like the trees in my backyard were like really green and glowing and hummingbirds were coming in. And it was just like this, you know, freaking Disney fucking movie in front of me. And I looked over at Ned who was sleeping and I realized that 90% of the life force of his body is gone, just gone. And I was just like, oh, fuck, shit. I So I thought, okay, all right, I need, we need to deal with this. This needs to be real. So I decided to go for a walk though. And I've decided in the month of June, every single day, I'm going to try to have some encounter with nature, either go down to the ocean, or I decided to go down to this beautiful nature reserve that um, 
<laughs> that Playa Vista had to build in order to build their condominium complex. They had to save a wetlands, and they did, and it's incredible. And so I was walking there, and I saw some cool birds that I never see and songbirds and stuff, and it was pretty incredible. And then I came around a corner, and I just decided before I got in my car, I was just going to stand in this one area. It was kind of open and everything. And this four-foot-tall blue heron comes out of the bushes, the bulrush, and just flaps its wings and then lands and turns around and just looks at me. And I was like, okay, all right, I get it. I get it, nature. Whatever this is, this is some sort of signal flagging um, escort. Maybe he's an escort for Ned. And that's when I went home and I said to my husband, it's time. It's time. And I thought I was going to have to convince my husband. And he was like, no, honey, I've been waiting on you. So... So I'm trying to keep it together. Uh, so I did not write an essay today because, well, I'm a fucking wreck, basically. <laughs> you don't want an essay of that. Probably in two months, I'll be able to write an essay about Ned and it'll all be good and all of that. So I've decided to let another person who uh, is also an essayist, um, you may know this gentleman. Um, he's familiar to many people in the world. Uh, but I thought, you know, we need a little, we need a little humor. We need a little, uh, a smile. And, uh, and you know what I thought? It's one of those situations where he, he really did say it well and he said it first, like with so many other things. So, um, I'll, I'll let you figure out who it is. Here you go. You were probably out walking your dog, which is what I'm usually doing. Walking my dog. Cause I love my dog. I love all my dogs. I love every dog I ever had. I remember them all, and I love every one of them. Still love all my dogs, and I've had me a lot of goddamn dogs. In my lifetime, I have had me a bunch of different dogs. Because you do keep getting a new dog, don't you? You just keep getting one dog right after another. That's the whole secret of life. Life is a series of dogs. <laughs> it's true, you just keep getting a new dog, don't you? That's what's good about them. They don't live too long. And you can go get a new goddamn dog. Sometimes you can get a dog looks exactly like the dog you used to have. Right? You shop around a little bit, you can find a dog identical to your former dog. And that's real handy because you don't have to change the pictures on your mirror or anything. Right? You just bring the dead one into the pet shop. Throw them up on the counter and say, give me another one of them. That was real good. And they'll give you a carbon copy of your ex-goddamn dog. Now, my favorite dog that I ever had in my whole lifetime was Tippy. Tippy was a good dog. Some of you remember I've talked about Tippy. Tippy was a good dog. Tippy was a mixed terrier. You know that word mixed? That the veterinarian puts on the form when even he don't know what the fuck you got? You bring in a little mixed puppy to a veterinarian and say, what is it? You say, well, it's definitely not a monkey. <laughs> Tippy was actually part Dodge Dart. <laughs> Poor Tippy was full of guilt. So much so, in fact, she's the only dog I ever had who committed suicide. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't say it like that around the house. We say she put herself to sleep. But she ran out in front of a milk truck. That's fucking suicide. <laughs> but that was her decision. 
That's what Tippy wanted to do. And that's the way it is in our family. If you want to commit suicide, we back you up. So we supported Tippy in her little suicide decision. Then we brought her into the pet shop, threw her up on the counter and said, give us something bigger. We're trading up. We was looking for a bigger goddamn dog. Cause Tippy had been teeny even before the truck came by. Truck had made her teenier. Wider, but teenier. And we was looking for a bigger goddamn dog. Not too big. You know, I don't like a dog who's bigger than I am. It's bad enough looking for shit in one direction without having to duck flying turds as well. A good rule of thumb is keep the dog's asshole below eye level. So we compromised and we got us a mid-sized dog. Knee-high, just about like this size here. Best sized dog you can own, by the way. Most people know this is the ideal sized dog to have. You know why? Anybody comes to visit you, the first thing that dog does is take his nose and put it right in their crotch. He smells my dog. No, Marge, I don't believe that's the animal he has in mind. And people get embarrassed by that, don't they? Especially the owner of the dog. The owner gets more embarrassed than the other person, saying, stop that, will you stop that, stop it. I'm awfully sorry about this. Not me, I say, get in there and get some of that. Get in there, sniff that thing out, go on. Listen, would you mind spreading your legs a little bit so he can get right in there? Okay, looking good now. So how's your mom and dad doing anyway? Well, God bless them. It's a wonderful couple. So go around the back, check it out in the back now. Sniff that other thing in the back there. What's that? Well, there's two different smells he likes. What can I tell you? Huh? Don't pay him no attention. He'll be finished in about a half an hour. So listen, Reverend, it's real nice of you to... Come and call on us like this. Every one of us is always glad to see you around here. <laughs> Especially that goddamn dog. <laughs> Those dogs are great. They'll break the ice when a new neighbor comes to call. Hi, we're the Johnsons. What's his name? Ball Sniffer. He's a crotch hound. Let me know if you want to get circumcised. He's on duty till five o'clock. Dogs are a constant source of entertainment. Do you ever have a dog that ate cat turds? Some of them do. Some of you must know that. Do you ever have a dog eat cat turds? Yeah. Of course, you got to have a cat, you know. You can't be buying cat turds at the supermarket. But it's true. Some dogs will eat cat turds. Yeah. Don't let them lick you that day. Get a bottle of Listerine for them. Try to make him gargle. Pour it down his throat and tell him to howl. Come on, howl! Howl, goddammit! Stomp on his tail. Howl, I said, goddammit! Howl! Oh, dogs are a lot of fun. Did you ever have a dog that ate a bunch of colored balloons and then he takes a shit and it's real decorative-like? <laughs> well, sometimes at Christmas, they'll eat some tinsel and take a shiny shit. <laughs> wow! 
look, Mom, can we hang it on the tree? <laughs> well, it is considered good luck in some cultures. Here's a little household hint for you. This will help you clean up after your dog. Feed your dog a lot of rubber bands. Put a lot of rubber bands in with his regular food. Then when he takes a shit, there's usually a little loop on the end of it. You just pick it up by the loop. You know what I mean? Throw him in the neighbor's yard. Yeah. That's why I travel around, give these little household hints. Bet you never read that one in Heloise, huh? Well, that's way better. <laughs> All of that is true. I, I, I will fully admit. Tippy is certainly uh, a very true thing. My dad brought Tippy home from the pound uh, in 1972. We were living in Venice, and Tippy was so small. She was a little uh, terrier of some kind that she fit in his shirt sleeve pocket. And I remember him coming in like, you know, hands down and acting like nothing was going on. And suddenly I see this like head emerge. And I think I was nine years old. It was very exciting. So that was dad. Uh, that was I Love Dogs from uh, the uh, Explicit Lyrics Advisory, whatever that fucking album's called. You people know it better than me. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I met this person, my guest today on Twitter, Two months ago, about? I don't even know. Someone retweeted this darling person's Kickstarter campaign. It was for a solo show. And I'm like, fuck that solo show show. We're going to get this thing done. Um, because I love people who do solo shows. And so Sue and I started talking on Twitter. And uh, and now she's officially out here in Los Angeles doing her show next week at the Acme. So everyone, welcome Miss Sue Costello. Welcome. Hello, Kelly. Welcome, welcome to La La Land. Thank you for having me. Well, yes, and I hope you have such a fine time at the Acme. But thank you for being so, I mean, we never even met each other and you totally retweeted and helped me get the money on the Kickstarter. Yeah, well, you know, I checked out your show, I checked out the video and the people, what they were saying, and I thought, well, those are all people that I love and adore and they're saying fine, fantastic things about you. Oh, all the reviews. Yeah, 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 yeah so yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, yeah, this person's got her shit together. And, and there was like a couple things that you said too that really kind of hit home with me and it was like... And I know, I know what it's like. I mean, people think, oh, you know, I've got this name attached to, to me and everything like that. But I, I know what it's like to put these things together. Forget the creative part of it, just to get it up and running and on a stage and get some nice folks in the audience to see you do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole I mean, you know, that and so, you know, well done. Thank well, you. Well done. Well Thank done. You. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't know. I just I was like, well, what am I going to do? I have a lot of people like chomping at the bid. Bit, bid, bit. And, uh, <laughs> and I, but nobody actually was coming through. And I was yeah. like, all right, I can't wait around. I can't wait around. What do I do? Which, I've, which I've done the whole time growing the show. It's all been organic from, from yep. my gut. Yep. And I was like, well, why don't I try to do a Kickstarter, which is completely, totally terrifying. It because is. Because if you don't get the money, it would be so embarrassing. I mean, I still would have kept going even if I didn't, but, but yeah, I would have had to like, Hide out for a couple of days and lick my wounds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Especially if it was only like, you know, if you only got a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> yes. That would be uh, torturing. But, it, but that being said, the whole show is about taking a leap of faith and hope and that the universe will, mm -hmm. that there is an abundance, that the humanity is the only thing that gets in the way of the, hum of the abundance. So for whatever reason, my life has to mimic what my show is. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's, I mean, that's important to... 
I, I can relate to that right now because I'm, I'm trying to not trying, but I am really making an effort in like my daily life, and especially like taking this month off. And you know, I'm, I'm doing a writing project right now, but like immediately here when I wake up in the morning, the non-abundant thoughts in my head. A, the guilt that shows up immediately. I like wake up and I'm guilty about something. Mm-hmm. Like, and that is like so not an abundant place to be. <laughs> no. And and to really say to myself, it's okay, you're fine, you haven't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You're here. You're you know, there's a, there's an abundance just in being alive and breathing right now and then looking around at all that we have and and it is so hard to trust that you know, every single day. And so do you have any practices you do or this is just something you're taking? I do do a lot of yoga. Do you? I love the yoga. Yoga, just the idea of what it does for my body, but also the way that I've really learned how to like witness what's Mm -hmm. going on in my life and Mm -hmm. not reacting. And I'm so fascinated with not only not reacting by not making anything worse, but if you don't react in any way and you wait, you can actually pay attention and then get something good out of it. Yeah. That's the, that's really what was fascinating to me because I always knew like, yeah, you shouldn't make everything. If you can't make anything better, don't make it worse. Right, right. But I never knew that if you just didn't do anything that you could breathe and like figure out a way to be kind and get more. Well, and that's because <laughs> I never felt worthy of getting more, which was a whole nother thing. Yeah, I can, t- I can totally relate to that. And the whole thing of, I can, this is exactly what I'm doing in my life right now. The whole idea of, not doing, but waiting, witnessing, staying, being, but being alert, being conscious about it, not like being and, you know, sleeping on your couch, but Mm -hmm. just really being present and not doing all the time, this like striving machine in my fucking head that I have. It's because it feels like the whole culture has got its foot on the accelerator all the time. And if you're not doing in this culture, you're like something's wrong with you and that the the courage it takes oh, to wait i got to tell you i never knew first of all i didn't think i was going to write the show that i wrote never in a million gazillion years and had i known what i was going to have to go through to write it <laughs> i never would have done it i just would have got another sitcom and been shallow <laughs> no that's a lie but but it was very painful mm-hmm. but uh yeah the courage that it took to be in a weird way, kind mm. is a phenomenon to me. Yeah. Because I'm like, what? Mm. And I'm talking truly kind. I'm not talking like aggressively pushing people around with my kindness right. kind of kind. <laughs> Aggressive kindness. It yeah, doesn't you know seem I mean? to work like really. Controlling yeah. and like making things happen. Only yeah. being nice so that it'll happen the way I want it to yes, happen. Yes. Like, no, it's not an ego based. No. Yeah. Your, your heart's really open. So- and I'm learning how to communicate with people without like, and just having compassion, like I had, I had to learn so much about my own humanity and have compassion for myself that sometimes I'm like, and it takes me a little while to figure out like, you know, what are they doing? And then I usually no one's doing anything mm-hmm. usually. And the other thing I was going to say about yeah. that guilt, it's like when somebody finally, I'm very pragmatic. So when somebody finally described to me that feeling terrible about yourself and guilty and worrying all the time was just the flip side of pride, mm-hmm. I was able to let it go a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is very self-centered to think that everybody is doing things to you. It's like, right, what? Right. Or, or that, or, yeah, or that, you know, just by being on the planet, you're, something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's like, 
you know, you look around, the planet doesn't really give a shit. No, and it's <laughs> the planet self-indulgent to yeah. like stand in the corner and like flog yourself. Like Absolutely. you're too busy flogging yourself. You're not available to be kind or be open to other people. And believe me, yes, this is an easy, like in a package thing sure. that I'm saying. Yes. It's very, very like. Yeah. Walk in the walk every day. And, and that's, that's what's been, because, I, because I've slowed, I've been so busy the last two and a half years building my show, mm-hmm. tour, I toured a lot with it last year. And, and I just decided that this year, I mean, I, you know, I'm doing my show a little bit, but I'm just kind of slowing down and checking out what's going on and catching up inside also. Mm-hmm. And it's that slowing down and catching up on inside, seeing now the voices in my head are coming back up again and, and meeting them in the morning, this this little guilt voice that I'm meeting in the morning going, this is fascinating. Hmm, you little shithead. <laughs> Better to meet it than to take someone else down because of it. Oh, yeah. Because that's the compulsion. No, I'm always pointing here. I'm one of those. Yeah, I'm one of of the, I'd rather kill myself than anyone around me. I had this guy do a favor for me this weekend. And I'm telling you, people, even when I had my success with my career before, people have always been like really nice to me. I'm very lucky. I'm not somebody who's like, you know, everybody screws me over. And I couldn't take it. Mm. I just couldn't take it. Even this weekend, like this guy was just being so nice. He lo- he's just so, I'm always like, I don't want to, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to take advantage. He's like, so you would never take advantage. You never take advantage. Don't ever worry right. about it. And then I was texting him. I'm like, you sure it's okay? You sure it's okay? And he's like, geez. And I was like, oh, <laughs> right. well, I better stop with my pathetic, like yes. low self-esteem. He's going to be like, I can't tolerate her <laughs> pathetic low self-esteem anymore. I want it to be nice to because her. Because when people offer you something, it yeah, makes, yes, it, it feels so good to offer. I mean, we, you know, that's the beauty of it and to, re- and to learn to receive. But I only liked to give the gifts. I never wanted yeah. and I didn't know that. Yeah. I like to give it. That's what I mean by my aggressive mm-hmm. kindness that I used to have. I thought I was so kind because I was giving everybody everything, but I wasn't. It's not kind to not take something from somebody. Yeah, and it, exactly. Kindness because you're receiving what they're offering and you get to be kind to yourself. What a concept. <laughs> so when did you... Had this show always been like floating back over here and you put it on a shelf and then came back to it? Or is this something that sprung up? Because I, I know you had a, you said you had a sitcom. Um, when was that? 98. I had a sitcom on Fox. I had like three TV deals before that. I shot like two other wow. TV pilots and I knew that I had something to say. Mm-hmm. But the way that they were saying that I would say it was not the way that I would say it. Yeah. <laughs> I would be like, what? Are you ta- what? How did you get that from that? Yeah. Like, this is the, we're going to make you be this thing. Yes. I'm irreverent, mm-hmm. but it's always with kindness and mm-hmm. it's always to diffuse the situation. It's always to make everybody feel better. It's not to hurt people. Right. But I didn't even know that about myself. Mm, right. So how would I, I knew that they would like try to put me in the box and make me say crazy stuff. And I'm like, what? What? So the sitcom actually, even though you didn't get to have a sitcom and ha- have a whole series and all of that, but it taught you something about what you don't want to be it saying. totally did. I was very lucky because I was very young. Mm-hmm. So to be able to get that far, that young, because most people strive their whole life to get there and then they get there and they go, oh, oh my shit. God, <laughs> what the hell do I do now? Yeah, holy <laughs> fuck. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you're like, I thought this was going to be the key and it it is physically painful. Yeah. And then, the, and then that's when the integrity issue comes up. Okay, well, I'm here and now we're doing this and You'd have to push yourself down or something yeah. internally. You'd have kill, to kill your soul a little bit. You'd have to. You'd have to just survive because you'd be like, "What?" And now we understand why there's so many miserable people in this town. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah, and I can see it because it's like they would always say to me too, like, "You're 
you're you're going to want a plane. You're going to want a boat. You're going to want this. And it would literally scam me into wow. saying, yes, I, w- I do. And I didn't. I literally had a house in Studio City with the pool. I was terrified. I'd have a girl sleep over with me because I grew up in like a oh, triple decker in Boston. But everybody was telling me yeah. what I should do. And I didn't have uh, any internals to mm, say. Right. No. Not, exactly. I would rather. And the work thing, like today, uh, today I realized uh, when I had my TV show. I the girl who wrote the show with me. I remember it was Friday. The show was like touted as like the best thing, and it was because of the way I see the world, my humor, and mm. I do take credit. I am finally able to take credit for that. But I remember it was like Friday afternoon. And it was five o'clock, and they were like, "Let's go home." And I remember inside thinking, "Why are we going home? Shouldn't we stay here forever and just make it the best?" I mean, this is mm. my this is a TV show. This is the only shot we have. And I didn't say anything, and I went home and I went to bed in a rage for the whole weekend. Mm. So it came up to me today and I was like, oh, thank God I've changed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and I, it, you know, and, and I don't know if this is, I mean, because we're women, I always think, you know, part of it is there's a much more of a challenge being a woman. There is a, in any that's business. That's an understatement. Right. <laughs> to, to be able to speak your mind and to oh really follow your intuition. And, and especially when it's based on that really deep intuitive knowing to base your opinion about something on that and to speak it and to to ask people to change course because of it uh, that's you know that's a good 25 year thing to took to me to learn how to do well what i also realized <laughs> this is what i've realized with men with my men with the men have been who've been in my life that they there is some sort of projection that goes on with the mother there's no doubt of course. And so it's like they never want to be powerless like they were when they were children again. Right. So when you're doing business with men, regardless of it's just a fact, there is that dynamic that goes on. And there's also the sexual dynamic that goes on. That's not, I mean, yeah. that's always on the table too. So it's like you have to overcome those two obstacles before you even get to business. Yeah. So you yeah. have to learn how to finesse that. Yeah. And it's so complicated being a, a woman with a point of view. Mm-hmm. And some power because, mm-hmm. you know, what can happen so easily is the projection, not just the mother projection of the sexual, you know, not the the virgin or the mother <laughs> or the whore yeah. and all that shit. <laughs> but, um, you know, you see so many women who put on the kind of the skin of the man in order to play right in the boys club. Oh, my gosh. And that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that that a lot of times the only people that are allowed through through the success are people that become yeah. Like men. Yeah. Yeah. And I've fought very hard to maintain my femininity because I love being a woman. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is because I think a lot of times that happens is because to to accept just like I talked about earlier, being able to be be a witness to what's going on. I finally witnessed just the devastating powerlessness of sometimes I just don't get work because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with my talent. Yeah. Yep. So once I was able to just be like it's almost like I guess what you'd have to do if you go to war or something, you have to at least identify the problem and then go attack it in a way that Yeah. So which is why I wrote my show. Wow. Wow, that's great. That's so so when you how how long has it been since you that first little seed of an idea hit your hit your mind uh to today when Since the since the show got canceled. So fifteen years I've been working. Really? On it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because just recently, there's been so many times like it gets clearer and clearer because my show is mm. literally a manifestation of the clarity of becoming present. Mm. Mm. If that is even, that blows my mind. <laughs> That's fantastic. Because I literally had to live it so that I could have the clarity of showing me as a child 
how the repression came in and then how I came out of it. Yeah. So it's not just a show. It's an actual like a a human experience or mm-hmm. something. I, I So just recently I remembered that uh, when I was in college, I was in a playwriting class and the teacher said, I grew up in Boston, so there was a lot of fist fighting and everybody hit and families hit. And, mm-hmm. and so I was in college and I had my feet out underneath the desk and uh, the playwriting teacher said, no more plays about girls who have issues with their fathers. <laughs> and I was writing and I remember I had my feet out crossed and he, I said, why, does it hit too close to home for you? And he came over and he kicked me. <gasps> Holy fucking shit. And so then I remember he brought me in the office and he was like, Ugh. you know, he co- he covered and made uh-huh. me not. And I never noticed the depths of how bad that was. Right. And so just recently, actually, this director was talking about a story about writing this this movie and it hit me. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I have to put that in the UMass scene because... I don't sh- I t- I mm-hmm. don't tell I show, but I'm like I have to tell you that the guy kicked me because then I never wrote a play and now I have a play. Yeah, yeah. I'm like he kicked me and I was like I'm never going to write a play again because he kicked me. Which the show is a lot about us uh, taking on other people's shame. Mm. Oh wow. Oh God. I'm, I'm going to be a wreck when I see the show. <laughs> it's a lot about how I took on other people's shame instead of letting them have their own shame. Well, and that's a. I mean, I think as um. You know, growing up in dysfunctional situations, I mean... Uh, Everybody's dysfunctional. Everyone's got a dysfunctional... <laughs> right. Everyone's Somebody's got to stop it somewhere, in yeah, my theory. Please. <laughs> End the cycle. Um, and and I know... Um, I, it's, so, it's so interesting because just last night I was reading... I'm reading something about um, this thing called liberation psychology right now. And it's a, a lot of the... It was, it's based on liberation theology, which is what happened in the Latino countries, all, all of the colonized places, Africa, Latin America, and, and some places of Asia. You know, when white man came in and colonized everything, and there's this kind of colonialization that happens to people who live there. And... And so liberation psychology is the psychology behind that, but it also talks about within individuals when you're in a chaotic or dangerous situation growing up in a, in a culture that's dangerous and you take on – everything becomes normalized. Mm-hmm. The violence becomes normalized. The insanity becomes normalized. And therefore, you think you're crazy because you you think, well, I should be saying something about this because – but no, everyone's – Well, you can't because you're a child who needs people to feed you and Absolutely. You, you need security. Yes. Right. Exactly. And so that's that's the that's the, the game we play. But our, our whole culture nowadays is like that. I mean, look Absolutely. at all the – I was th- I tweeted today. I was like, okay, so everybody's obsessed with being young, but all we do is pick on the young people. I'm like, we're totally <laughs> fucked. This is crazy. Can I swear? Oh, yeah, all yeah, right. yeah, we're, yeah. I'm yeah. like, we're totally fucked. This is crazy. And my my whole thing had, since I was a child, my whole life, I wasn't able to manifest it earlier on. I am now, is that the repression of feelings is what causes all the violence, all the unhappiness, all the, the external – I mean, it's simple – they have it on magnets everywhere, but it's a real... Yeah, it's it's one thing to know that intellectually, and then it's another thing to really get it in your life, that the, the damage that is done when we pretend that the insanity... You know, no wonder people are anxious and depressed. I mean, this is what pisses me off about the whole pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the therapy industry, too, is, you know, they try to normalize or, or blame the suffering on the individual. Well, guess what? The fucking planet is, A, the, the planet itself is sick and there's war and there's we're treating children and we're horribly. And I, I mean, it's the amount of insanity if you stood back and said... 
How, would you run a planet this way? <laughs> no wonder we're feeling dead inside or it's want to feel dead inside. everybody is trying to push everybody else's feelings down because generations and generations have done it. And so now it's coming out yeah. in all perverse, crazy. And we're afraid that if we actually feel our feelings... That will do. Uh, that was always my thing. If I actually feel my You'll rage, never stop. right? I'll never stop, and I really will harm someone or something. Because it's funny, somebody said that the other day that they were, and that makes sense: suicidal or homicidal. It's either the anger goes, and which is, it's like, well, because nobody teaches anybody how to. Like, I have a niece now, and she is just, I just can't even believe like that I can tolerate the intimacy with her. So, mm. so she, um, she hit her brother the other day, and her mom told her to stop you know she told her don't do that you know and uh i came in the kitchen and she had the placemat over her face and i and like i said i'm able to be present now and witness and i was like oh my gosh that's where the shame comes from mm. when you're a little child mm -hmm. and she had literally covering her face i said what are you doing and she i i just want to disappear i just and i was like oh she thinks it's her not the behavior mm-hmm and so i i sat with her and i said well you can't disappear it's impossible to disappear and she peeked out over the place, <laughs> and then she put her head back in. I said, and I think you need to talk about it. I said, I know. I was trying to keep her present. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she, I said, you have to, I said, I know it hurts to talk about it, but it only hurts for a short time as opposed to a long time. And then she went up in her room and she was really mad and went up and I talked to her and I said, you know, it's really frustrating growing up. I said, you're really frustrated right now, right? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, it's frustrating. She, and she, she has a younger brother. I'm like, yeah, and I know you think that he's not, when he's your age, he's going to feel the same thing. I'm like, because you love your mother, and then you want to be independent, and then you love your mother. And she just kept looking at me. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying, I want to disappear. I went, he said, you can't disappear. And so then um, after a little while, I was like, okay. I was like, well, now, now you know what's happening? She goes, what? I go, you're having a pity party. <laughs> I go, and I don't accept invitations to the pity party. And she looked at me because the whole time I was watching her, I was thinking, oh, no one ever told me how to at least feel it a little bit and, and then, then to move stop on. it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No one ever showed me that it was okay, that that was enough. And I just saw how I, as an adult, I used to just sit in my room and ruminate in and vlog mm -hmm. myself because I, I felt so bad about myself that I thought I was supposed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's great. It well, was so cool. And she got up, she put a bathing suit on, she went swimming and she was fine. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm onto something here. <laughs> and even when I was leaving, she hugged me for a long time mm. and I just stood there. I was like catching a train and everything. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I wasn't like, oh, I got to get my train. I wasn't so anxious about catching the train. Yeah. Well, she, you really saw her. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're kids. I mean, it's, that's all we want. It's just to be seen for what we're experiencing in that moment. But it made me have so much compassion for my parents, for everybody yeah. too. I'm like, the only reason why I've been able, why I'm able to do it is because I did such hard work right in the show and everything. So I don't even think, I, I have compassion that people, it's, it's intense. It's very, it's intimacy. It's yeah, real love. It, it is. It is. It is intimacy. And it's that willingness to be in that space where we're, we've taken off the masks and we can really see each other and, and tolerate that. There's a, there's a lot of energy in that space. And we're not taught to learn how to metabolize that energy. We're taught to move away, distract, feed, whatever it is. And all we want is it. It's all we want. Every single part, because like I was like we were talking about having courage to be kind. It took me forever. Practice tiny steps, tiny steps. And now I am kind to like the people that you would think. I'm the comics. Like I can't believe the comics that are supporting me now. And it's because I'm kind to them. Like I, I retweet their stuff. I tell them they're awesome, and I mean it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, 
Oh, if I have the courage to stay with it, even if the first time they're a little nervous around it, or they might be snapper or be not so nice or whatever they do. I just don't let it hit me anymore. And I'm like, whatever I do, I always say I do what I want. And what I do what I want is I have a lot of love and happiness and joy and yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. You're modeling unconditional love. Yeah, in a and, way. And, and not taking any baloney either, though, in a way that's like... Well, no, you like, and with healthy boundaries. But people love it. Then they like me more. That's the craziest thing. I thought if I set boundaries with people that they would all run away. <laughs> it makes them like me even more. And I'm like, okay, now I gotta make time for people and have more boundaries. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it would make people go make make them go away if I said what I needed. And Isn't it's that so fascinating? They love it because most people don't have any boundaries themselves. So when I say stop yeah. it, they go, oh, thank you, Sue, because I was never going to stop. I don't yeah. even know what kind of funk I was in or whatever it is. You know what's so interesting? I I know that I went and got my master's in psychology to learn healthy boundaries. Because in order to become a therapist and to be in a room in that intimate space with clients, you have to have really healthy boundaries and really know where you stop and the other person starts and how to how to manage that space. Um, it's all you're doing is managing that space. And I think I I really think my adult self knew I need to I need to like step into some weird extreme situation to really learn how to do that to bring it into my personal life. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's way easier in the therapeutic room mm -hmm. because it's like my job is to have right. boundaries. Yes. You know, there's a lot of therapists that have no boundaries. Yeah, anywhere and else. and yeah. and a couple of times my boundaries got a little wishy washy, and I've paid the price for it. Now but my whole sh you, you're gonna like just freak out over the show. <laughs> I'm so excited because it's all the end of the show is me confronting a therapist that is not treating me right, and how I realize that she did teach me everything because. It was all inside of me anyways. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So so it took you 15 years to work through this material. And I'm guessing, I mean, I know for myself, just to give you some idea of my background with my solo show, I did one, my mom died in 97. And I was like, it's one of those things I was 34, turning 35. And it was like, oh, I see one can get my mother wasn't hit by a car, but you, I, you can be hit by a bus tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like, like life's yeah, fucking short, get yeah, yeah. fucking on with it. Mm -hmm. So I started writing and writing and writing. And by 99, I had my story too, which is similar in the sense that it's like, you know, you I, I called it driven to distraction. It was like all the things in my family and culture that distracted me from my real self and how my mom's death actually woke me up to my authentic real self. And I did that show very briefly, performed it just a few times, and then kind of put that kind of writing on the shelf for myself and, and went and got my master's. But um, And I just know how long it's taken me to pour over the material and then go over the material again. And, you know, it's almost like this kind of cyclical labyrinth you have to do over the same material to keep stripping it down. And so the, so like the, the writing that you were doing 15 years ago on your life and all of that, and then what you have now, what's that arc and journey been like for you? What have you had to let go of in order to present the story you have now? I had to deal with a lot of the stuff that I hadn't dealt with. Like there's a scene where a lot of the kids, teenage kids died in my neighborhood mm. growing up and I had never dealt with it. Mm. So it brought up so much grief that it took me like months to get over that. And then uh, the hardest thing for me to do was to put it up when it wasn't perfect. Ah, uh, yeah. That was, I was like, what? <laughs> 
I'm presenting to the world. I'm not going to have every little part of me shiny and perfect. And then the other to my own, like everybody would say to me, Sue, it's don't touch it. It's perfect. And inside I'm like, it's not perfect yet. Mm -hmm. It is close. Even what I'm doing here in LA, it's not, I know exactly what I'm trying to do. It's almost there. But I have to tell you, so then I brought Rico in to direct me. I had been doing it by myself and I really been hiding it because my success early on was excruciating for Mm. me because it was so uncomfortable. And I'm like, how can I go back to that when it hurts so bad? Right. So what's happened is my, my work with the show, focusing just on the work, Yes. And not on the outside stuff has brought me so much. And the potential, like doing that Kickstarter. Yeah. I shocked the daylights out of myself. I'm like, what? <laughs> what did I just do? And they're writing articles. Even my friend Katie I'm staying with, she's like, yes, who? There's tons of articles about Kickstarter and you're in all of them. I'm like, I didn't even try that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the really like I'm living everything that they tell you to do. Like mind your business, put your nose to the grindstone, be yeah. kind, show up, do what you need to do. And and the outcome doesn't even necessarily matter that much. Jane. I don't even know how to describe it. Well, because because when when you when the work is when it is about the work, there's such a fulfillment in that process that that the ego part of us that you know sits there and goes, oh well, maybe I do want a jet. You don't, <laughs> but you really don't. No, because it's, it's like- exhausting, and then you have everybody wants to ride on your jet with you, and then you have to tell them no, and then you don't know who likes you, and it's exhausting. People don't understand. They think if they get this stuff, it's going to be like home free. Yeah, if you build a fortress and you stay inside, exactly. Good luck to you. But yeah. otherwise, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting. I'd rather be out. And that's the other thing that I saw with my TV show. It it, it isolated me, and mm. I think fame isolates people a I lot. Agree. And I will not let that happen to me anymore. I'm not. It will not happen because I am a hum, human being beyond anything. Yeah. So, it's almost like society will separate you from your own self. That's why they say fame goes to your head and all that stuff. It's like there is a reason why they say that. Yep. Yep. And that's why people get so the drugs and the alcohol and they get so crazy. And it's like, I mean, I was with, with my sister and her, her kids and everything in Foxborough this weekend. I was looking around. I was like, they, they don't even want to meet these celebrities. Exactly. <laughs> they just maybe read it in the magazine, but they don't care that much. No. I'm like, I don't know who's, it's always like this false thing that everybody's generating. And I have the balls now to be like, I, it's not happening. And I just raised the money with Kickstarter. So look at me now. I used to be yeah. beholden to. Well, you know, the whole fame thing, I really think it's, you know, we talk about projection. It, we're pro- It's like we project that shiny part of ourselves, you know, the part that we think is um, been uh, touched by the angels in some way. And we, we, we project that out onto people instead of owning it for ourselves. In what way can... What way am? What's my kind of divine path? I mean, you know, it's such a kind of a corny way of saying. It's not it. talent is something that you but, are born with it, and it should be. Yeah, and nurtured. and and what am I here to do? What is you know what? How am I here to be of service? Because I think ultimately, when art is powerful, it's completely of service to humanity. Well, that's what happened with my show. I'm like, everybody's like, Sue, I feel like I'm. They come back and see it four and five times, and they're mm-hmm. like, I feel so good afterwards. I'm like, well, that's a lot better than sucking the life out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, are you, you kid? And then people will say to me, they're like, Sue, I, I would be months later. They're like, I told my mom about it. And they would all say, when are you going to do it? And I had to personally go slow enough that because I also had to be strong enough to be able to do the show under tremendous pressure. Like even out here, I'm under pressure. I did the whole thing. I did all the postcards, all mm-hmm. the pictures, all the playbills, everything. I did everything. I'm managing the money. I'm doing every single thing myself. Mm-hmm. So under that kind of pressure to be able, and I've just done it so many times that yeah. I'm, I can get, and I have confidence that 
I'm going to get up and rip it. You are. Because I'm proud of it. And I really don't care what that like. I, and the outcome to me for this is just a little more bump. That's yeah. all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. And exactly being able to, you know, what is the next opportunity? Mm-hmm. What is the next legs for it? You know, who, who, who wants it now? Who wants, you know, where, where am I going to share it? It's like when I uh, conceived the show I'm doing now, originally what happened was I went on a uh, cruise ship. Uh, Lewis Black invited, uh, a bunch of comics and he had like 400 Lewis Black fans come on a big Royal Caribbean cruise. And I met Lewis because my dad died. I met all these comedians because my dad died. And Lewis um, invited my husband and I. He's like, I want you guys to come on the ship. We need a day event. So just, he knew I was a storyteller. He's like, play some videos of your dad and tell some family stories. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, seven days in the Caribbean with him and Kathleen Madigan and Ted Alexandro. Oh yeah. Yeah. John Panette. I mean, it was like a freaking, it was insane fun. Mm -hmm. My liver will never, ever be the same. And I don't drink a lot of alcohol. So, so, but when I did it, it was, uh, I, I did, I, I literally put it together that morning. I just trusted my intuition. I just told some stories, some my dad's stories, some my stuff. And, um, the fans were so touched by what I had done that I knew that I wanted this, I wanted the fans to get to have this. I wanted them to have this. And so in my mind, when I do the show now, I really, it's like, it's like, oh, you know, it's great that people are getting to meet me and see what I can do. And finally, you know, I'm out of my dad's shadow in that way. But the bottom line for me is this is the George Carlin farewell tour. And people get to have my dad again, because they used to, he used to come by every 18 to 24 months to all these places, and they would get a, you know, they'd want him. And, and that for me is just like, that is such a pleasure to know that these people who loved and adored my father and and gave me a you know a life because they gave him a life mm-hmm. and and you know they saw him so well and yes it's complicated but uh but I just love that feeling and so like I'm right now we're working on get, taking my show to New York in the fall and you know supposedly you know oh we want to build a tour out of it and go to these performing arts centers and I just keep thinking you know, whatever its purpose is, I just want to let go of the outcome part of it and just be with whatever it it needs to be for people. That's what I want. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, you know, if it if it fizzles away, fine. I'm gonna go. I got tons oh, see, of shit that's in my way. Different. I want to go to Broadway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if a show like mine would even want to go to Broadway. You really? Know? I I mean, I maybe. Yeah, I mean, I you know. I, see, I, I think you have to have like both. I think you have to be like everything can be a baby step, but you can have some sort of hope for it. Like you have to have some vision so that you can get there. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I get that too. I mean, I I definitely hold. Um, But the funny thing about this particular show, too, is that I feel like this is kind of an intermediary show for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's I I pent a lot of my dad's videos in it. And it's really my story with him. And you know, the whole for first act is, you know, me being a kid and being affected by them. And, And it is my show, absolutely, in the end. But People show up because George Carlin's in it. Right. And you're going to grow more as being able to be yeah, yourself and yeah. be less, and, more visible. As yeah. Well, right? and, and I have, you know, this show, this podcast we're doing right now, this is my, this is my baby here. Mm-hmm. This is where I get to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And this is, you know, this is like something based on this. And I'm working on another writing project too right now with big dreams about it, you know, mm-hmm. but um you know, it's it's like you need to figure out where it is you live with it and then 
you know, what, what your dreams are for it. Um, well, and I've been doing mine for 15 years. So my visibility, like where yeah. I want to go with it is, and also it's still becoming visible. Like, so I brought, I was going to tell you about Rico, Rico Colin. Oh yes. On. Yes. So he, I did a pilot with him years ago and I, he just struck me as like just the kindest guy. And I was like, who am I going to, again, like I told you my gut, I was like, who am I going to get to direct me? And I'm like, Rico, hmm. it just came to me. So I called him up. I said, Rico, you want to direct my show? And he's like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, you do? Again, like I said, like, right, right, really? Right. Okay. Well, why don't we do have Rico I guess we're doing this. Yeah. And uh, when we started working together, he knew, like I needed somebody who wasn't going to come in and put their crazy imprint on it. Exactly. Because it is my show. Yes. Uh, and he came in and it was so amazing because there were certain moments, even on stage where I was going really fast and where I was like moving too much. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, Sue, slow down. And then he, I would slow down and he would like burst out laughing. Mm-hmm. In some moments that are like, my thing is like tragic, hilarious. Sure, yes. It's, and, and I just naturally burst out laughing and I was like, oh yeah, I was, I was, I was tiring moving my head like that. And we would <laughs> laugh and cry. So I don't, I take it very seriously, but I don't take it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh. I realized, he said, yeah, so you're still becoming more and more visible, visible through the show. You're still like yeah. growing with it. It's crazy because I hear is this show that I wrote that's like, but Patricia Clarkson, amazing actress, came to see my show and she stood in the back of the theater and she said, Sue, stop fucking hiding this show. Mm. And it was again, yeah, went hope. into my gut and wow. I was like, she's right. She saw me. She just totally saw. I thought I was hiding stuff from people and she's like, stop it. And I'm like, I, and part of me was like, I when I'm ready, I will. Yes. And that's what happened with the Kickstarter. I'm like, I'm ready to bump it up a notch now. Mm-hmm. I did it enough times carrying my set. You know, be, I said to my friend the other day, one night, one time I did it on Valentine's. Everybody's like, Sue, do your show on Valentine's Day. We'll come. We'll have dates, blah, blah, blah. Everybody on Facebook and Twitter. So I did the show. Nobody showed up. Oh, fuck. And I had no Valentine. <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, it's it is. It's hard to be the 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 motor behind it all the time. You know, I'm getting much better. I mean, you get yeah. If you keep doing, it, especially if you have systems, you start to figure out what works, what doesn't work, how to do it. You know, and you you need a touring agent. I will need something like that yep. soon yep. because I would like to go and just do it wherever and. Mm-hmm. But I don't need, and now, and also, but I waited until it was very, like Rico said, Sue, this is the easiest job I've ever had. And I said, because I just need you for what I need you for. Yes. Yeah. You've done so much of the work. And I don't need him to take care of me. And I don't need all that exhaustion and all the stuff that used to go on where I would put all that stuff on people who they can't take care of me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I literally just needed him to do exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Be the witness for you. Be be, be the eyes. And do a little bit of like the acting stuff. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, so I've learned, so. The one thing I knew in my gut was to do it enough so that I was at least clear so that when I did it, it could be a pleasant creative experience in terms of, I'm just very clear. Like if somebody says to me, like, who's your audience? Everybody's my audience. Mm-hmm. And so anybody's like, you should do it. Everybody's my audience. I just did it for 15 years. I had a 90-year-old lady grab me by the arm and tell me, oh, my God, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And then I had like a 10-year-old kid yeah. say the same thing to me. Yeah, that's great. And guys, everybody. Just everybody, because I did it enough. I was like, let me figure out what I'm dealing with. And if it was just a woman show or whatever, I would just do a woman show. Right, right, right. But I realized, because I had the success early on, what happens to you where they try to tell you before you even do it? Mm-hmm. They just make it up and then tell you that's how it is. And you're like, why the <laughs> hell did you get that? And they're like, oh, I just said it from my brain. And you're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And why did you give me the show? <laughs> because we can sell more cornflakes that yes. way. <laughs> and that's fine. I have no problem if you sell cornflakes with me. But I, not into, I had to 
own up to the fact that I had to be the boss. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of like being the boss and wanting everybody to take care of me. Well, see, that's the great thing about being a solo artist, you know, a solo show artist is you get mm-hmm. to be the boss. Mm-hmm. You really do. You know, and it comes with a lot of pressure, though, too, and being and responsibility, like, mm-hmm. like like you said, because it isn't, you know, I have seen some solo shows that are so painfully self-indulgent. They just want the audience to do all the work for them and basically be their therapist and mothers and fathers. And, well, <laughs> that's and, what you suffer from. Like you, and that's you're so what, terrified I'm that you're going to do that yes, when I'm you're ha- a solo artist. And I'm having the show that's not that, but I know I'm suffering. People don't come out in droves to see a one-person show because of that. So, I know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you want to say to people, really, it's really, it's, you'll yeah. be safe. You're yeah. going to be okay about it. I mean, that's why I brought Paul Provenza onto my project mm-hmm. because it was like Paul just suffers zero fools. Right. So it's like, I know if it's hitting him in the right way and he, help, you know, he's being my eye out there and he's standing in for every cynical comedian mm-hmm. <laughs> because really I knew right. that would be my toughest oh, yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah. And the the comics, I love comics coming to my show because mm-hmm. I know I'm going to get the biggest fucking hug after the show mm-hmm. from them because they've just been cracked open in the mm-hmm. deepest way. Mm-hmm. It's such a pleasure. Right. Respect. You get respect from your peers. There's nothing like that. Yeah. Definitely with my show, I was like, oh, we are going to wait until I say, listen, you people are going on a ride, but don't you fucking worry for one second. I am in charge. Exactly. And I got you. And that's the secret. That's the secret to a fantastic Well, and it's also entertainment. I'm not stupid. I'm like, I'm here to like entertain people. And the other, I mean, and I took, I've been very open to that. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Love that guy. He read the script at one point during while I was writing in. He's like, Sue, call me up. He's like, stop preaching at the end. Mm-hmm. And the end is the hardest because I'm I'm not only writing the end, it's hard to write the end of anything, but I have to pull the whole show through. Oh, yeah. And right. my whole show has been right. an evolution. And you don't want to knock am. anyone over the head. And no. you at the same time have to at least gather some pieces yes. together. Yeah. And it's closer to who I am now. It was easier to write the stuff from the past because I had more of a perspective. Right. On it. Right, yeah. So I've been writing the end for like five years. <laughs> I'm still writing it. So when you see it in LA, it'll be close, but it might not be. Uh, and so you're still tweaking. I'm still tweaking. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I feel like now it's at the point that I think I can even like make it even like unbelievably tight. Like these four nights, I think I'm going to be able to like with the script and working with Rico, the callbacks. I mean, this call, I mean, it is, it is tight. <laughs> even working with him, like there were a couple, he just said, Sue, uh, it should be this, that, and the other thing, like in the row. And I was like, oh, what does he mean? How am I going to change that? How am I going to make it this, that, and the other thing? And then I sat down. I made this, that, and the other thing. I thought, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> Isn't that such a fascinating part of the process? Because there's like the part of your brain that's like, I remember working and in, in doing the writing and the synthesizing part of it too. And and Paul would say, "Well, you, you need this and this," and I and I'd be like, uh, "There's no way. I mean, that's not the point of that part, or whatever, you know." And then I'd go, "Okay, well, let me go away for a day and write and come back." And then I would like read it to him, and he'd go, "Oh yeah, that's it." And I was like, "Wow, really? I did that? Mm-hmm. Like, how? Where the fuck did that come from? Where the fuck does it come from?" It's weird, right? <laughs> it's well, that's a the other mystery. thing. I made sure, like, whatever interviews I ever do, no matter where the show goes, how big it gets, or anything, I'm going to make sure I tell everybody it was excruciating. Mm. It was took 15 years. It was really hard to do like those people that are like and it was divinely inspired mm-hmm. a lot of it did come from something divine but the human cleaning up that i had to do to get to that yep is excruciating so i when people are always like oh i sat down and i wrote a whole yeah. Pulitzer prize winning thing i'm like <laughs> what well, i didn't 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, writing one's own journey, uh, if if you want to do it in a way that's an invitation to the audience, you have to do the work because you have to make sure it's clean. It has to be clean. It can't be and any muck on like it. Like this, there's there's a couple of lines in my show where I literally there would there have been times where I've had to hold my face. Because they were laughing for so long. <laughs> that's such a great problem. One of those problem. laughs that's like, like first laugh, second laugh, third, and then fourth. Like, oh, oh wow. my god, oh my, oh my, oh my god! Did she just say that? Oh my god, oh my god! And wow. like my, I held my face for so long that my muscle starts to like uh, twitch, and I'm like, oh my god, they're laughing. So, and I realized, like, mm. even with Rico, I worked a little bit with him, and then I did it in Boston, and just him slowing me down. I was like, oh, I didn't even know you could make me funnier mm. because it's this mix of there's moments where it's really tragic but the stuff that i'm saying yeah is so hilarious that people are like they don't even know what to feel <laughs> or laugh and i'm like because that's life yeah. i wrote a show that's like life you ever been to a wake or somebody's dying or in the icu yep. or something yeah what do you guys do oh yeah oh my gosh my they just laugh my sister her girlfriend got her nickname when my brother broke his neck and he's in the ICU unit, and my sister brings her girlfriend home to meet my family, Irish Catholic family. They're loving people, but we don't have a lot of feelings. And so now my sister's coming home with her girlfriend, who they never met, and she's gay. And like, and uh, <laughs> and so my uncle called, and we're all sitting there. My little sister, she's very Boston. She's got mm. two kids. She's and so uh, my mother answers the phone, and it was my uncle Michael, and he's like, "Well, uh, who's there?" And she's like, "Oh, well, Trish's here, and Sue's here, and uh, and and Chris is here, and Deb's here." And all of a sudden, you hear. No, no, Dick, Deb. And all of my sudden, my little sister's like, she did not mean that. She did not mean that. She did not mean that. I'm like, that's your new nickname. No, Dick, Deb. <laughs> so through all this, like all these feelings that are going around came and everybody was crying, laughing. And from then on, she was no Dick, Deb. And it's like, that's what happens when yeah. there's a lot of tragedy. And it's like I said, somebody on a TV show would make it look like I said something crazy about and mm. I don't. It, I didn't even say it. It's just the way that I tell the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The humor I found in how much everybody was. Well, you know, I think that's what's um, humor is. Uh, thank God for humor, mm -hmm. because uh, without it, I don't think we'd be here. <laughs> Truly, I mean, it's the only thing that it 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 gives us space to 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 be with something that your mind almost can't hang on to, you know, or, or to be with, you know, like a tragedy or some crisis moment like that. Gallows humor. I mean, that's what it's for. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, it's so interesting. Like right now, the, um, the big internet debate about, um, rape and rape jokes mm -hmm. and, and really interesting just kind of watching all the different perspectives show up around that and what a real, I mean, there's so many, so many aspects to it. And, and I was just, I was reading the other day about the importance of humor and, and how it's, it's like there's, but there's are certain situations where people still feel like you can't bring humor to, to a situation. And, and, and I mean, that one of the things that people always bring up is my dad used to have a line that said, you know, I can prove to you right now that rape is funny. Oh, I heard you. Right. You were tweeting with picture, somebody. And you were picture like, that's porky, enough of that. <laughs> right. Picture Porky Pig fucking Elmer Fudd, you know, or right. something like that, you know. And it's like, that's a funny joke. Right. Um, yeah, because it's all over the Twitter right now. And mm -hmm. it was like I was going, people were bringing my dad into it and everything. And so I just want to know, like, your take on that, what's going on with all of that. And you, because you're a comic and you're a woman and... 
Have you thought about this issue? Do you have a stand? Do you have a stand as a comic? Do you have a stand as a, a different stand as a woman? Do I you personally have- wouldn't joke about it unless I was in a situation, like I said, where I would diffuse it and make everybody feel better about it. Right. That's the only time. Like I did a deaf benefit one time in a... I walked on stage and they had a signer. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I said was, she better be funny. <laughs> and when I got off stage, the audi- the people who ran it were like, Sue, you made us feel. Right. Oh, and there were two girls talking in the front. I was like, I can hear you, you guys. I'm up here performing. <laughs> and the and the, the people who ran it were like, Sue, you made us feel so human and regular. But there's a, see, that's what it is. Because you're, respect, me. you're respecting the individual and, in that situation. And it's always emotionally supported. They were talking during my set. Right. So it was, I was playing with them. I wasn't just saying something crazy. Right. And that was pretty funny to say that the, the sign has to very, be funny. Very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. That was my first gut instinct. <laughs> and I said it. And it, so there is a way that I do things where I, where I let everybody know it's going to it's going to be okay but, but I, I love that diffusing the situation and and making people feel okay about feel, feel loved and better about it not take them down because of it and not disrespect i would never yeah. i've never been raped i would never ever ever and i remember one of the first times it ever happened i was on stage cuz i used to react more mm-hmm. on stage i'd get scared and i'd do stuff that didn't match up with my integrity mhm you know, and people would be like, you're much nicer in person. I'd be like, oh, something's terribly awry. Mm. <laughs> but it had, and I can tell you, and a lot of it had to do with the aggression that I was met with from the guys before I went on stage, the guys that were on the stage before me, what the audience was looking for. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on too before I even hit the stage. But uh, one of the, I did Jim Brewer's, uh, when he used to do comedy covers where at Caroline's where you would do other comics, their material. Mm-hmm. And I was doing something and there was a drunk girl in the front row and she was so drunk. And she was so hurting. And I, I just didn't, I just tried to get through my set and mm. I didn't take it personally. And I just had so much compassion in my heart. And uh, I didn't kill. And I got outside and the, they came, uh, they were swarming on me. And these are like blue collar. Jim Brewer has like right. swarming on me. They're like, I've never seen anybody be kind like that right. ever in my life. And I didn't even think anything of it. Wow. I just truly went with what. And it was one of those times that I was like, oh, they see it. Because I was always afraid they wouldn't see it. See, and that's so fascinating because I think there is, um, there's, or I don't know if it's, I think it's probably new to comedy, but because I there's a bully kind of a culture mm-hmm. between the comics mm-hmm. you know like guys can like fuck with each other on the corner that's what they do and there's kind of i and i don't i've never hung out with a lot of comics and clubs and stuff i didn't i never done stand up but i just from my own observation i get that there's a little bit of that or a lot of that you know kind of you know one upsmanship and kidding about it but really you know wanting mm-hmm. to be the older brother and kind of putting people in their place a little bit there's that aggression there mm-hmm. And and then of course dealing with hecklers, there's a you know there can be a lot of aggression dealing with hecklers. And you know it's funny a lot of times if you can pause like I'm talking about pausing, mm-hmm. you can see that they're not really heckling you. A lot of times <sighs> they'll attack a heckler so quickly that uh, the audience just automatically thinks that the heckler is doing. And sometimes they're if you really listen to them, you're like, and you can play like I've played with. I'm like, what did you say? I'll pause. I'll wait. <laughs> I'll let them talk, and then afterwards they'll come up and think they're the most special thing in the whole world. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, oh my god, I just handled that person with care, with dignity, mm. and they love me mm-hmm. because they probably people probably call them an asshole all the time because they have no social skills, <laughs> right. and I was kind to them. And it's like, so there is this finesse to it where you don't have to. But I am one of the comics that I don't do that. I never have. And I get a lot projected onto me because I'm a female comic and people like say horrific stuff to me sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. And I kill. Yeah. I kill. I was at the laugh factory out here. I did Dom Herrera's show. And I, I mean, they were, 
cr- scream. And it was again, same thing. Drunk girl in the front where I was like, oh, I was like, oh, everybody, yeah, they're sick of you, aren't they? And she's laughing and they loved it. And I'm like, I've been, I've been doing this forever. I could pick up on the energy in five seconds. And then I played with her enough to give her enough attention. And then, then she, and everybody said it to me afterwards. They were like, Sue, you did not. And then I remember somebody else was trying to like bust my balls and say something about like, oh, you killed even for you or something. And, mm. and, and I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I did, said, oh, and then the audience, the no, and the audience got mad at the person. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, they're not going to, they like me. They're not going to let you do that. Yeah. It's... And the girl was like, Sue, I've never seen it. I've never seen that happen before. And I'm like, I'm not giving myself away to negativity anymore. Uh, that's so beautiful because I think one of the things that's always scared me about the comedy culture is there's that, there's that rough meanness around the edges with, with some of those spaces and, and the people in it. And, and um, it's why I like storytelling, you mm-hmm. know, it's yeah. like, I just feel like nobody's going to really, yeah, the audience yeah. is just yeah. in a different yes. mind, you know, and, and the, and the other performers too, you know, and I mean, you know, any, anybody who, who, who has a profession where, you know, y- your job is to kill the audience, mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm-hmm. using that metaphor, know, you're right. you know, there, there's, there is a, a certain amount of dominance, you know, you're, you're there to kind of show your stuff. But there some, is something to be said about somebody who like gets up and they're vicious and vulgar and they mm-hmm. kill. The audience is depleted. Yeah. They might be laughing, but sometimes it's because they're scared. It's because, I mean, there, there's there's a way to go on stage and make people laugh and make them feel good when they're leaving. There is. There's just a way to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I used to, you know, I mean, there's so many comics who can say difficult things and that it's more of a mind opening difficult thing, mm-hmm. you know, than a than an aggression us against them or me against you kind of almost. But the feeling. audience knows. They yeah. feel it. They know what's going on, regardless. I mean, you've seen nasty stuff happen and you're like, that's because nasty stuff was happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I can honestly tell you, nasty stuff doesn't happen unless nasty <laughs> stuff is going on. Yeah, unless you're feeding that <laughs> it's monster. True. No yeah. matter what, whether it's unconscious, you know, it how long did it take you to find your comfort zone and and your that that kind of inner moral compass for yourself? A long time, and I've had to sacrifice a lot in terms of stand up. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten the props that I get, and I can name every single club where I don't work. And the reason why I don't work there is because of something where I either stuck up for myself because they were taking advantage of me with money, or sexually spoke to me in a way that I didn't want to be spoken to. And do you think this is why women have a harder time finding more success and more uh, spotlight? In I mean, this I business? and I can honestly tell I kill. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I kill whatever you want to <laughs> yeah, use yeah, it yeah, yeah. by being kind. Yeah. And consistently, and I've had club owners tell me, so you you kill more consistently. And I could never say that. I thought it was me. I was like, oh, I don't work there, I don't work there. But I could tell you a whole list of like that person because they tried to screw me over with money. That person I tried to stick up for myself because they were taking advantage of spots. Fucking patriarchy. That person was pushing me around. Be- <laughs> that person was pushing me around because somebody else was late and they were giving the advantage to the guy instead uh, of me. Uh-huh. And I said, don't do that to me. Uh-huh. And guess what they do? Yep. Bye-bye. I mean, I, I should be headlining across the country. Yeah. And I don't. And it's like, mm. but you know, it's cool as people are starting to see, I don't even have to like say you, it. You don't have to fight. You don't have to. Because people are starting to see it. They're yeah. like, they see me on Twitter. They're like, the guys are like, you're funny as shit. Yeah. You're funny as shit. I'm like, yeah, I am. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like, you know, you see like, uh, and this is why I think I've always kind of kept my feminism, you know, in the corner h- hiding a little bit because the minute you bring out that banner in in service of, you know, just 
fucking equality on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, maybe we've got something to fucking say because <laughs> we have a different perspective. We, we might even be helpful to you. Right. Um, but, you know, immediately then you get put in that fucking box, you know, oh, you're the whiny woman or you're because the feminist. Because it's a weakness that they can use to keep you down. If you yes. don't let that weakness out, then they cannot keep you down. That's why I, when I was telling you, it was like war. You, you, I saw her, I said, oh my gosh, I suffer from serious sexism with stand-up. Yeah. Because I'm not mean and I won't be gross and I don't sleep with people and I just don't do any of that. Yep. And what? I can't be. And I'm funny. It's not even like, oh, maybe she's kind of funny. It's right. Like, right. So, you know, you'll <laughs> deliver the and goods. And more credits than most people. I've been, I was in the movie The Fighter. I had my own sitcom. I was in the movie Salty. I was in yeah, the movie you, Lawrence you've, Fishburne. You've shown that you are a person. I have ca- more capability. But I have more credits and I've done more. St- and yeah. Literally. And so... um what I did was I was like, all right, let me figure out a way. Let me do my one woman show. Let me show what I got that way. And then I won't be denied. Yeah. And I'd rather do that than be like, and wine and everything. I'm, I'm so determined. Like there's some part of me and it's none of my business because I'm not in, I mean, I'm, uh, um, you know, sort of in the comedy business in some ways, but I really feel like there's gotta be a way to, to level the playing field in comedy for women because there's so many amazing voices out there that are just being... And you know, it's funny if you go to... A, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. But, but just, if you go to a woman's night comedy... Yeah. It, people laugh, like they're like that was hilarious uh, yeah hello <laughs> and they still think in their head like that it's not but they experience the experience yeah. of it being hilarious it's, and they're still... It's fascinating to well, me. It's society. It's but not it just is. in comedy. Exactly. It's that, everywhere. That, and that's what I was saying. Damn the patriarchy because it is the culture. I mean it just is... And it's invisible because it's it is so in, just part of the structure of how we live and how we operate and everything. It's acceptable, and it's acceptable. You know what? I'm turning fifty next week, and I'm fucking not fucking dealing with this shit. Well, it's ironic because you're talking about the rape thing, and it's like, isn't that interesting? Because that's like violence against women. Absolutely, like anger. And, it's not sexual. It's like right. dominance. And, and then it's fascinating because then some of the comics get up in arms because they're like, "Well, this is censorship." Like no one is censoring anybody. A, we're all just saying. You know, think about what you're saying. Think about really what you're saying before you say it. And and then, you know, it's uh, – and then it's like this whole Facebook thing. I don't know if you were following that. Facebook um, was allowing certain things on it. A picture of a woman with her mouth taped that basically – it was a total – uh, like a, a rape thing, um, mm-hmm. a very innuendo kind of a thing. And Facebook didn't take it down because it didn't fit into their hate speech category mm-hmm. so clearly. So a bunch of uh, women who work in gender and feminist stuff the last four weeks really pounded Facebook and said, we've actually gone to the sponsors now and they're going to start pulling. Well, Facebook woke right up. Good. And started As changing, changing things. In the pocket. And, and, and so it's so interesting to be, because I'm a First Amendment person. I think the First Amendment is essential. And so it's like, well, you can say whatever you want to say, but you have to know that what you're saying makes you a total douchebag if you're doing rape But they jokes. don't even have to know that. They have to know that people can have a reaction, whatever they want to react. They, right, exactly. So That's you can say what you want to say. The First Amendment isn't, I get to say whatever I want, you should shut the fuck up and it, like it. Exactly. No. The First Pe- Amendment is, I'll say what I ever want, and our and we all get the to rest decide. of the Constitution is, we do what we want. Right, right. And, we, and we get to decide whether, you know, yes, the Nazis get to march through the park, but we all get to decide whether we're going to sign up for the fucking organization or not. And I, it is. It's insulting to my intelligence, really, this whole conversation, because I'm like, if they, the majority of people, like the way you, you, most people should live their lives is if the majority of people are telling you it's horrible, <laughs> it's probably horrible. Let's move on. Like I told my niece, let's wrap it up. You had five minutes of being gross with your rape joke. Now let's move it on. 
Like, don't give them the power. It's yeah. like, don't give them the power. Yeah. I, that, and believe me, it took me forever, but I, I walk into the club sometimes and I have people, I'll, people come up, guys will come up, they're like, what, what time are you going on? And I'll look them right in the eye and be like, what's up? Mm-hmm. And then they smile. And then the next time I see them, they go, what's up, Sue? Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's in a way that now I'm learning how to do it off stage, so I can still maintain my femininity mm-hmm. everywhere else. And I do. I love being a female. I love being yeah. sexy. I love being smart. I love being funny. I love being kind. Yeah. And it's- I'm telling you, I remember the first time, I was so afraid to say my talent. I was like, oh, if I ever say my talent, people will like <laughs> attack me. You know? It's mm. funny because I like my stand-up is similar to my... my um, upbringing if you show any vulnerability they'll attack you you yeah. have to just learn how to get through the attack initially and keep your vulnerability right but um if i ever say my talent i i said it one time i was out somewhere we were on a comedy panel or something and i said my talent very like nonchalantly mm-hmm. and everybody came up to me afterwards and they said sue i hope someday i can say my talent yeah they didn't say anything about me yeah they just felt inspired that they felt that they wish they could feel right-sized enough to say like this weird like divine talent that we're given yeah. is very it's in a human body, so the humanity of it is what needs to be respected, and then you don't get overblown, and then people see you. Yeah, yeah, and and denying the talent is a very arrogant stance. When you, or hurting it, or like, yeah, 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 or hiding it, or whatever. It's it's that's more arrogant than saying than owning who you are and what you're here to offer. But that brings me to my whole theory, which is we all have an aversion to love. That's what's really going on. Nobody knows how to, like you said, in the nervous system, we we. We don't know how to do it. Well, I think we know we we know it to begin with, but then we're have to be fit into this civilization in a certain way. So we have we it's it's like we have to we come in open, we armor, mm-hmm. and then at some age we go. You know what? This armor really has nothing to do with me. Learn to take off the armor, and that's like that's the job of the healthy adult is to take the armor off, and it's to heal the wound so you're not responding from the wound all the time exactly that's part of the well the armor is yeah. all from the wound Protecting absolutely I, I never yeah. wanted anybody to get close to that wound i was like if they ever get close to it well yeah then they'll see the truth of me and they're not going to want anything to do which with is me. so funny but i used to be like i'm disgusting i'm disgusting nobody cares that much no they don't people they don't care see, everyone <laughs> this is what i tell people everyone is so self-centered <laughs> they don't they're not cares. trust me they're not thinking about no, you and i do my show and i'm like if you like it you like it if you don't like yeah. it whatever i'll, I'll my feelings will be hard for five seconds i'll move on or i don't care i doesn't there's not even a like perfection to that like most of the time i the majority of the time 98 80 to 90 percent of the time i feel pretty good yeah the other 20 percent it's part of life yeah exactly and 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 i think if you're conscious and you're willing to to own up take responsibility for what's missing where you're missing the mark that's all we can do which is the humanity which is the hum- yeah. like once i started realizing like i'm a human and i have flaws and oh, i that's so fucking hard I can't, yeah <laughs> i remember the first time i was facing that too and it was like what do you mean i'm not perfect but Just- isn't it crazy to think why do we get that we should be it's crazy uh, why and it's exhausting it's exhausting and the beat the daylights out of yourself mm. if you make a mistake or mm-hmm. anything it's like uh, boring. My friend, my friend, she said her daughter said, Mom, you worry too much and it's annoying. I said, no, you tell her it's boring. Yes. So she went back and told her daughter and her daughter said, Sue, she said she was great. And I was like, how wonderful of the mother to be generous enough to tell the daughter. Mm-hmm. So there's something about whatever I'm doing that's making people playful enough and it's and it's spreading. Yeah. And I just, they're, they're receiving it. Because otherwise everybody would be like, Sue, you're crazy. And I would never kick daughter and I would never tell. They'd be like, whatever. <laughs> And you'd be sitting in your home by yourself I would, doing saying, your show. I know that my rape joke works. 
You're all wrong. <laughs> Whatever. We do what we want. And I think there's something cool about being a woman, being happy, not letting the devastation of what can happen with the fe- with the uh, sexism take you down. Like, what yeah. are they going to do then? Yeah. What are they going to do then when it doesn't take us down? Yeah, I know. Oh, we're coming for you. Oh, <laughs> I love guys, though. I oh, really no, no, do. no, I do, too. I don't know who made it up that they were supposed to take care of us. That's where we got really messed up. Uh, I'm, I actually way prefer being born as a woman than the, the. I can't even imagine what it must be like to be a guy yeah, in this culture. Yeah, somebody said that to me. I used to always want to be a guy because I thought it was easier, and now no, I'm like, oh, no, no, those poor guys. I have guys that no. work for me, and I'm like, what? The but, pressure to be, yeah, no. And not to be able to process the feelings, too, is like, yeah, we yeah. get to at least process them and be free sometimes. Exactly. Well. You know what? Either way, you've got something to carry around with you. Yes. <laughs> Whether a woman or a man, you've got shit yes, to carry around and shit to, to give back. Yes. You look through the bag and you say, this is not mine. You could, you know, it's like having both my parents gone. Um, one of the gifts of that is whatever they handed to me that isn't mine. I have handed back so freely now. And because they're not here, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have to deal with that part of it i it's a blessing to be like you know what dad mm-hmm. love you this is your shit wherever you are wherever your electrons are right, right now i am releasing it to the electron field mom here's your stuff this i am not carrying this through another generation this is your stuff it's done it's ending here and thank god because as an adult regardless of what happened to you as a child as an adult if you don't heal it people don't want to be around you no they don't have they have a little compassion but then which is what i told my niece mm-hmm. i said your mom you she she's right she, you can't hit your brother i'm like you don't know how to express yourself so she's teaching you how not to hit him i'm like so you can be a healthy happy adult and people will want to be around you and she just looked at me like all right i'll buy that that makes sense <laughs> I don't want to be alone. <laughs> Isn't being an aunt great oh my gosh i never knew it's... and sometimes i have to like breathe and like yeah, because they love you so much. Yeah, it's it's such a free love because it's the the, the baggage isn't there. The parental yeah, baggage they isn't just there. Love you so much, but see, you get that access too because you get to see them and say things to them that'll plant in their mind in such a beautiful way. And my sister and her husband are so awesome. I mean, they like did. But such no a matter good job what, even the awesomest parents, it's still your parents. Yeah, There's, I think they have to be the. It's that's what I still told a them. dynamic. I said, your mom has to be the rules. I'm it's, like, if I was the one making the rules, you'd be, you yeah, know, thinking the same. It's just the part of the dynamic of. All. But thank and, God for my sister to allow me to be her. Yes, like completely. That, That's beautiful. That's fantastic that she's not threatened by that or whatever and sees your no. relationship, the importance of it, and you know, that you can feed and support your niece in a, in a different and way. And I'm supporting she... my sister by. I told my hundred percent. Yes, I said, listen. Yeah. And I always say, whatever your mom says, that's the decision, you yeah. know, no matter what. Yep, she's in charge. But that makes my niece respect every. Oh, and it was funny. Oh, the most important thing is so I said to my niece, just because it's your mom doesn't mean you can't get mad at her, which no one ever told me. Oh, that's huge. No one ever told me. I mean, that's like, you know, I'm in therapy at age 49, still learning how to get mad at my dad. I said, just because it's your mom doesn't mean you can't get mad at her. And don't you know, two seconds later, guess what she said? I want to go see mom. Wow. And I was like, as soon as I gave her the space to be able to, to be know who that she, she is. could be mad, yes. she loved her mother more. Yeah. Instead of push it down, push it down, push it down. I love that. So all she wanted, she didn't want to talk to me anymore. She wanted to go find her mother. <laughs> Sue Costello, you were doing good work in the world. Thank you, and everybody. I hope you come see my show. Yes. Next week. So t- tell us, tell us all the details right now. So it's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth at eight p.m. at the Acme Comedy Theater, which is one thirty-five North La Brea. Mm-hmm. You can get tickets at Acme Theater 
at the comedy uh, laugh stub i think they're are they, you selling it on laugh stub they normally sell me do it through the acme i'm not sure oh, okay if it's, it probably comes up as it, laugh yeah stub. it does yeah. it goes through there yeah the acme. but you can go to suecostello.com and there's a link there i so, tweet it every day so people people of los angeles <laughs> lots of people are coming though i have to say Good. finally it's so weird i'm used to like begging begging and all of a sudden everybody's emailing me like i want to come do you have tickets i want to know and i'm like yeah. oh now here comes the other pressure <laughs> yeah and that yeah exactly like oh shit <laughs> people are showing yeah, up now now i'm like oh my gosh now they're gonna come now and now i have to Oh, I think you've got the goods. I don't think that's going to be an issue. You just, it's about, you know, getting out of your own way and going out there and just being in the moment. And I've it. done it so many times yeah. that I'm like, yeah. and they already thought it was yeah moving. So yeah, it's this, really worth, it's 25 bucks. It's really it's, worth it. it exa- really exactly. It's, I have a 90 minute <laughs> show too. And I tell people for $25, <laughs> you're getting 90 minutes, solid entertainment, people. 15 years I've been working on it. 25 bucks is like nothing. Come but on, I, people. But I want enough people to be able, I want it to be priced in a way that enough people can see it so that the word gets out. Yeah. And all I'm going to do with the $25 if I make it is put it back in to the yeah. show and try to do it in New York. Just keep putting it out there until I get producers. There's no jet airplanes you're buying this week with no, the $25. I I like my little apartment, my little pink bed. I'm very happy. I like to have a nice dinner. Well, that's the other thing I learned when I made the money. I had no idea and I learned how to like, I have my own things now. Like I never had anything when Mm. I first made the money. So Mm. it was like, and now I'm very much like, I only want like three things. I don't want a lot. I like to have, it's exhausted. It was all the clutter and made me exhausted. And I only wear the same thing. If I do yoga, my body's like part of my accessory now. Mm. So Mm. it's really crazy. If you ever saw me growing up, you'd be like, how the heck did Sue turn into this person? <laughs> you, but it shows you, you. You and I are soul sisters in many ways. Because when, when, happen, I, right? when I talk, when I do my show, people look at me like, how did you end up so normal? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I just, you know, I don't know, lucky, just one of those things. And, worked, worked my ass off yeah. and there's some sort of common sense lucky gene that I came up with. But thank that. God, because if you were just like the same all the time, people would be like, why do we want to see that show? There's no redemption. There's yeah, no, 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 right? no, yeah, 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 no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited. So, all right. So everyone, uh, come see Sue. And her it's fad- called I Wasn't Trying to Be Funny. Which you changed the title, which yep. we didn't even get a chance to talk about. But that's fascinating, too, that you changed the title. We'll talk I about that another time. I wasn't trying to be time. funny ever. I still am never trying. You just are. I just am. <laughs> and I'm a chick. And I'm a chick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, well, that is my June show. I know. What are you going to do without me in June? You're just going to have to uh, do some yoga. Mm-hmm. And take some extra walks and go find yourself your own blue heron to light your mind up. And uh, when you see me in July, I will be, uh, I'll have a new rap song that I wrote. Uh, I will be, uh, we will play the rap song, uh, which is called Liberation Sheology, because I'm getting into my feminist patriarchy thing going on here. And I will be 50. When next time you hear my voice, amazing. It'll sound exactly the same too, which is so strange. And um, and I think that's it. Uh, if you, uh, of course, want to support our efforts here, please go to kellycarlin.com. I've changed the look of the website again because it's Squarespace and you can just press a button and it changes everything. I get so bored with these things. So I did that. Um, come and support us. Hit the PayPal button. Uh, any amount is uh, loved and adored and appreciated. And uh, we feel um, extra sparkly special inside. And uh, have a great June and have fun on the solstice and have uh, a hot dog on 4th of July for me. We will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Six years old in the summer of 69. Ten 
clock was way past my bedtime in my tiny Texas town. The world seemed small when the sun went down, and the moon was just a word in a nursery rhyme. But all that changed one night in late July. Glued to the TV screen, eyes on the sky. I can tell you what I thought when I saw that astronaut step out on the moon. I said goodbye, goodbye, little world. I'm just a little girl, but anything is possible. Anything is possible. Goodbye, little dreams. I was meant for bigger things. Russia for the gold. So goodbye, little world. I'm just a little girl, but anything is possible. Anything is possible. Goodbye, little dreams. I was meant for bigger things, and anything is possible. Anything is possible. Singing songs with you. So hello, little world. I'm just a simple girl, and anything is possible. Anything is possible. Hello, little dreams. You are big enough for me. 'Cause anything is possible. Anything is possible. Fat Kev Smith, Fat Kev Smith, look at his man teats, Fat Kev Smith. He's holding on his titties and he's flopping back and forth. Oh, look, he found a quarter underneath. Hey, man, it's Fat Kev Smith. Uh, not talking about my man teats. I'm talking about my oral because I'm good at it. I like to give a lot of oral, man. You want to get some oral from me and my friends? Come see a smart co show. Come see a smart co show. Uh, next show is not for another week, and that's when we're heading out to North Carolina, son. Going to Charlotte to the Fillmore on June 6th. Tickets at csmod.com. Day after that, 
You can catch us in Columbus, Ohio at Studio 35, man. June 7th, right there. Me and little Jason Mewes doing Jay and Silent Bob super groovy cartoon movie screening and the podcast right afterwards. Studio 35 in Columbus, June 7th, June 8th. Covington, Kentucky, Madison Theater, man. Come on there, Cincinnati. Come on out and see us. Cincinnati area, lower Kentucky area or higher Kentucky. I'm not sure where that is on the map. Kentuckians will tell me. Right now, Twitter's blowing up with you, jackass. Uh, Madison Theater, that's all you need to know. June 8th, man. Go to For tickets, go to csmod.com. How about June 9th? Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movies happening in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, man. The Oaks Theater, that's right there. Uh, near Pittsburgh, right where we shot like Zagamiri and, and Dogma and whatnot. Uh, come out and see us. This is a good screening for me, real good screening, because kind of the reason I started all these little screenings is because of the Oaks, and I'll tell you there on June 9th when you come to see us. Meanwhile, back on the other side of the coast, Kevin and Bry getting together, do a little bit of Why Bry, June 14th. Me and Bry are going to be doing Why Bry at the Improv. Um, looks like uh, the same slot we'd be doing Babylon in normally, but Babylon's off that week because Ralph's shooting a movie, motion picture. So come see us. Tickets at seasmod.com. Uh, or if you don't want to travel all the way to Los Angeles, how about Ontario, California, man? June 16th, me and Bri doing why, Bri, at the Ontario Improv. Tickets at csmod.com. All right, man, when you're not doing that, look, you're like, I can't make it to any of your fucking stupid Smodco shows. Well, how about you check out Kevin Smith's Cartoon Lagoon on iTunes? Go peep that. Or, uh, you know, you want to do something free? Like, I don't want to pay for your shit. I want it free. Uh, go to YouTube, man, or here, do this. Go to howdoesheshave.com. That's this campaign that Gillette's doing for Man of Steel. And it's me, my Bialik, uh the, the Mythbuster kids, kids, guys, and uh, as well as Bill Nye, the science guy, and competing with our theories about how Superman actually shapes. Go check that out, man. It's fun watch. They're, they're very short, minute and a half, two minutes. Mine's probably the longest, about three minutes, because you know me, I can't stop talking. Listen to me, I'm doing it right now. So I'm going to stop and let you go on with another fine Smodco podcast. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>